welcome back to a brand new episode of the amazing world of talking shiz. I am CJ. And I am Maddox. And today is a very, very, very special day. And I'm not going to ruin the surprise just yet because the best kind of prize is a surprise. <laughs> so definitely follow us on Twitter. That's a big surprise for us is Twitter. It's talking underscore shiz. We have Instagram talking underscore shiz. Facebook, that's the amazing world of talking shiz. And also, don't forget to vote for us. Again, make it five months in a row. And where can they vote for us, Maddox? They can vote for us at Podcast Magazine. You can choose up to three podcasts and just pick out the ones that you really like. Uh, we love the support and we love supporting those podcasters that are supporting us too as well. Um, but yes, definitely go vote. Because it is definitely groundbreaking to be a part of the community and be a part of that magazine, especially being in the top 50, which our position for the fourth month in a row uh, for this month, we are actually number 11. So that's, that's still amazing. Yeah, we're so honored by you guys for voting for us. And, and if you want to be part of the Shizzlers, uh, definitely go to tpublic.com to pick out your Talking Shiz merchandise. Uh, we, there's a lot of things on there you can choose from. Now, today's episode, we have a very, very special guest. He's our first guest we've ever done. So hopefully this does not become a, a, a train wreck. <laughs> but you guys give it up for Mike at Quiet on the Set Guys Podcast. Hey, how you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm super stoked that I'm like your, uh, I'm your first guest. I feel brand new. We do too. <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit about your podcast, uh, Quiet on the Set, and also where you can be found and all that fun stuff. Just let, let, let everybody know where, where you guys are at and what you're about. Sure. Uh, Quiet on the Set is a sci-fi movie review podcast. Um, we look at movies from retro 60s all the way to modern 2010 sci-fi movies each week we go by decades 60s 70s 80s and so on and then loop it all back around and start all over uh, we've been doing the show now for a year in october so we have a we have a few episodes up and uh yeah you can check us out pretty much on all streaming platforms you can find us on twitter at quiet underscore guys you can find us on Facebook at Quiet on the Set Podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Quiet on the Set underscore podcast. Um, I also have a second podcast that I am starting because I'm out of my mind. And um, it's kind of a conspiracy theory podcast. I started with uh, my best friend and my brother. And it debuts August 17th. It's called the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. You can also find us on uh, you know, pretty much everywhere the same, and on Twitter at HHS Conspiracy. Awesome. And, you know, I was, uh, Maddox and I, we talk about uh, maybe one, having one episode about conspiracies or conspiracies, as I like to call it. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm down for that. If you guys ever need a guest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, well, to keep up with the movie themes, and I know that you're a big Mars Attacks fan, and, <laughs> uh, and I know uh, when I was on your show, 
uh, yep. a couple of weeks ago and had just uh, just released yesterday friday yeah and right. um it sounds like you're a tim burton fan so i thought we could do a tim burton episode of like favorite movies i know there's a ton out there mm. yeah and so yeah. i thought we could just uh start it off with just you know talking about some tim burton films that sounds good let's get into it so Maddox, I'll let you kick it off, sir. Tell now, me, you know, it, it, do, do you have like a top five or is there a top three of your Tim Burton I've, films? As far as Tim Burton uh, films, I've got, I would say three. I have three. Uh, the most common that you'll probably run into, and this is probably the most iconic, uh, Edward Scissorhands. And my wife is a big fan of Johnny Depp and she just desperately wants to meet him. And I'm like, okay, well maybe that might happen down the road, but not right now. Uh, but uh, definitely um, <laughs> the nightmare before Christmas will be the second option. And then of course, sleepy hollow. That, those are the top three that I have that are the best for me. What about you, Mike? Oh man. So, I mean, if I had to break it down to top three, it's kind of weird because I enjoy the smaller stuff that he's done. Mm -hmm. So like, if you, if you know, like, uh, like he did a short called Vincent, uh, he did an animated film, Frankenweenie, which I thought was, <laughs> was awesome. It's fun. Yeah, it was really cool. But I think top yeah. of my list, if I had to go like top three, it's gotta be it's gotta be Batman. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I still to this day, and I don't know if it's like a nostalgic thing or if it's just, you know, me clinging to my childhood, but Michael Keaton as Batman and that Batman film I think was perfection, still to this day. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I he did a fantastic job. And rumor has it, fingers are crossed, that they're trying to get Michael Keaton into the Flashpoint movie. They're trying to bring him back for a Batman Beyond movie. Yeah, to be like the elder Bruce Wayne. Yes. That, would be, it, that would be pretty cool, though. Man, to see him back as Batman, I mean, he did – you know what's funny about with Michael Keaton is that he was huge in the 80s. And one of my favorite movies uh, other than Batman was Gung Ho. Uh, that was one and Mr. Mom. Those are the, my two favorite movies that he's that he's done. And I just his his comic timing, and then he did multiple uh, multiplicity, multiplicity. I can't even say the word. Yeah, that that was a good movie. It was quirky, but I I really enjoyed multiplicity. Oh, I did too. I mean, uh, directed by Harold Ramis, and <laughs> the, I'm Steve. I like I like pizza, pizza, Steve, pizza. <laughs> Uh, he uh, just he pizza. did that pizza. <laughs> i loved it and how he put pizza in his wallet and he put <laughs> puts his wallet <laughs> in his back pocket <laughs> it was such a it was it was such a fun movie i, I enjoyed that movie i laughed and it, it's funny how he fell off and then michael Ke he just boosted i think uh birdman kind of just set him back on the back on the charts again when he did that indie movie I think I'm not 100% sure. Then he steps into the MCU. Now he's he's pretty much set for life. Now he keeps up with that part. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. He um, I I really enjoyed his character even before he came he came into Birdman. He was a character on the other guys, and he played. Oh yes, uh, that's their, right. Yes, their cap, mm. Captain Gene. 
and that character that. was hilarious. Just TLC references throughout the yes. entire film. <laughs> hey, you don't go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. It was perfect. Hey, I'm digging on you. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that was that was before Birdman. So I, I've totally retracted my whole statement on that one. I just know that he fell off, and then something brought brought his career back, and he just started popping up left and right in movies. But that's far from Tim Burton. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Down the rabbit hole we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, welcome to the Amazing World Talking Shiz, where our opinions don't matter. We're never on topic, and we're still here. <laughs> Pretty much, so, uh, you know. So I, I was a, uh, I looked up Tim Burton because I, I'm a, I'm, I'm a fan. I just love his work, and I forgot how many movies he actually has done. Yep, <laughs> there was, yep. it's a ton out there. And I said, oh my gosh, I totally forgot. And there's some I didn't even know he directed or he was a part of. But I have an honorable mention though from from Tim Burton. His first movie, his de- uh, directorial ba- debut, was Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure. Oh, amazing. And I did not know he directed that. I mean, I knew it now, but not – I found out, like, uh, let's say about 10, 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> but at the time, <laughs> I didn't know he directed that. But you can actually tell, though, in the little scenes like with uh, Large Marge or the clowns where Pee Wee was dreaming that that was Tim Burton's little touch. He put his little sprinkle of Burton seasoning on it or whatever you want to call it. You could tell that was Tim Burton was in, in that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of weird. I've always kind of found it funny that you, for the most part, with the exception of a few outliers, you can tell if a movie is a Tim Burton film. And, you know, if you played it for certain people and said, okay, watch this movie. At the end, I want you to tell me who directed it. Nine times out of ten, you could probably tell it was a Tim Burton movie. Oh, yeah. Wh- I mean, which he, a lot of times that Tim Burton, his biggest kick in almost every single movie that he's ever made, there's always this dark gloom somewhere in that movie. There's always something dark and gloomy. And that's in a lot of movies that he's created. And for an example, Alice in Wonderland, there were several scenes that if you really look on how the details is, it's really dark and gloomy and you can pick that out. I'm just throwing it out there. There's, there's like different points that I can pick out. And that's, that's my tactic. If, if I would have, if I would put pick three movies and without being the obvious, like Batman, it would be sleepy hollow love that movie big fish that was a very very good tim burton movie with ewan mcgregor that was such an amazing movie and if i pick a third one it would it's beetlejuice it's such a great movie beetlejuice was which by the way which by the way just throwing it out there because there's a certain somebody that has a, an okay, issue okay 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 how do we have to set it up for mike okay mike there, every time we have a chance to mention beetlejuice and michael keaton it's a, it's a it's an inside joke because there's we have a fan that listens to our show that does not believe that michael keaton played beetlejuice really yes it's, uh it's pretty evident yeah well they're in denial and i hope that they hear me in the other room 
they're in complete denial uh anyways um yeah so you're <laughs> here is the question though who do they think played beetlejuice uh in their opinion and in i say that i would say in their opinion uh they they say anybody but michael Keaton. <laughs> vin diesel oh, that, would be, that would be a <laughs> weird beetlejuice yeah, i don't have friends i have family you probably come in with a freaking muscle car decked out as Beetlejuice. Uh, you know, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, okay, I know Beetlejuice is obvious, so I'm gonna, I'm, I forgot about this movie till I just saw it, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that one on the back pile. But Corpse's Bride, that was one of my top three: Big Fish, Corpse's Bride, and um, Sleepy Hollow. Corpse's Bride, I thought it, I thought it was better than Nightmare Before Christmas. In a lot of ways, it is. Um, it kind of has a deeper story to it. It does. I, it does. And there's definitely a different meaning to a coarse bride. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. And just like well, Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, it was. I don't know. I just. I, I just cannot wrap my head around it. It's like it's not one of my favorite movies. Not, my son. He actually enjoys it. And I don't know where he got that from. Must be on his mom's side, but I, I don't know. <laughs> Just throw him right under the bus. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm not sure if you guys kind of equate this when it comes to Tim Burton films. Mostly, if you think about his earlier movies, you know, 90s and 80s movies that he made, a lot mm -hmm. of his films had to do with death. And, yes. yep. you know, I, I think maybe that translates to a lot of these kids um, that if you grew up watching Tim Burton films, you kind of, I don't know, like, like the, the, the theme of death within movies is kind of an attractant. I don't and know if that's, I don't know if that's a thing for you guys. That <laughs> possibly potentially uh, transgressed into the emo type scenarios that <laughs> kids grew up in uh which i for one i can uh, i i'm just gonna say it i did have my emo phase but i didn't dye my hair black or anything like that because my parents would not let me um but as i got older i did kind of get i did get a tattoo but that's it <laughs> well i mean you know tim burton he's known for you know fantasy you know he's the gothic horror like he, he he's yeah. not known for like the slash like Wes craven or, jason um, yeah, yeah i forgot um like goro de toro whatever his name is like those type of films like he he he's got that gothic horror like as you know maddox as you and i discussed and even you and i mike we i just noticed like the the consistency of the blood it's different than what you would see in a horror yeah. film it's kind of it's, like a candle wax blood or something like that. Yeah, that's right. yeah, that's a good descriptor. Candle wax blood. It looks just like it. Um, like, I that's what I like about Tim Burton. Like with Big Fish, I mean that was such a great movie. It, it's like that his son didn't believe his dad's stories until the end when his dad passed away, and and it made you think that maybe his dad did over exaggerate the stories. 
but the people in the stories was real and the effects that he had on other people's lives mattered even though his son didn't get it until after you know after he passed away yeah i i think that movie was phenomenal and definitely had the feels <laughs> what right. now you mentioned frankenweenie i'm not a big fan of it but what made you pick that that movie um when it comes to frankenweenie i mean like i like what he did with the 2012 version so if you if i talk about like his previous like vincent vincent was about this sad boy you know it's it's a tim burton stop animation pretty much um but it's about this this sad boy and you know all that other stuff and then he goes on in the 80s to actually make a uh, like a an in-person a real real version of frankenweenie mm -hmm. in in 84 now i saw that version and i love that version it's i think that translates so well to to film so when an animated version was made you get the quirky side of it and you get the fun comedic side of it but it still deals with loss and death and those dark overtones which he is very known for right um so i think it's it's a blend of and and obviously he has his own his own character um you know design and everything with the eyes and the over exaggerated features and the you know thinned out bodies and whatnot um and i think that translated also really well to an animated film so that story in itself i think is great you know if you've ever owned a pet you've lost a pet and mm -hmm. that's that's kind of like a universal thing that a lot of people can get behind and it's one of those stories that you you know you look at it and you go wow this kid was willing to do anything to get his dog back so it kind of it kind of makes you think too that um tim burton probably goes down this dark path because let's face it death is a very sudden type affection that well, as soon as it hits i mean it, there's no turning back if once death happens in a lifetime regardless of where it's at it really takes the drama in your life to a whole new level and I think that's probably what Tim Burton's trying to do in almost every single movie he ever creates. He's, he's trying to emphasize this certain emotion for you to feel inside the movie. Now, one movie, I don't know what kind of emotion that he was trying to get at in this movie. I'm still, I'm not a big fan of this movie, and I'm probably going to step on some toes whenever I say this, and forgive me, but... Uh, Sweeney Todd I, I just do not get what is the purpose of that movie I mean it's very sadistic I mean the the characters come in oh I'm a I'm it's it's a musical but the fact that you're shaving people slitting their throats sending them down the chute so that way the woman can make meat pies and it's like um yeah where were you going with with this 
Well, with Sweeney Todd, as you know, it's a it's a Broadway play, but the the premises because when I when the first time I watched it when Tim Burton released it, I didn't like it, and I just rewatched it about a couple of months ago, and then I kind of understood it, and it's it's a revenge story. It's the it's it's the government or a government official who has way too much power. He covet this guy his his wife. And ends up getting rid of the husband. It's the same as when uh, it's the Bible story when uh, Daniel, I think it was Daniel saw uh, uh, that lady bathing on the roof, and he ends up taking her husband to the front lines of a war so he, yeah. she can get killed and take his wife. And it's kind of like the same scenario with, except um, the husband didn't come back and go on a murdering spree, but Sweeney Todd did. You know, he was a well known barber. And so he got, so he sent away. Everybody forgot, thought he died. Even his wife thought he died. Well, and he has, you you know, his daughter. It. And then he comes back and he's like, I'm getting revenge on these people because they ruined my life. They took my wife, they took my daughter, they took my business. And so this, apparently his friend or whoever was in love with him and willing to do anything for him. And we have to dispose of the bodies. So we can just put them in a pie and sell them and, there we go. Meat pies. I may have to watch that's a, it that's again. That's what I took out of it. I mean, that's yeah, what I, I took I out of it. I might have to watch it again, but to kind of go back to your statement that he was a barber, but I guess in this movie, he's more of in lines of a meat carver. He was a butcher. <laughs> the butcher. Yeah. He was the butcher of uh, the butcher of uh, It definitely <laughs> was, per, it was Tim Burton's most violent film. Yes. Yes. Yes, I agree with that. Um, but there was there was a film that he did, and literally probably found out about an hour ago that he actually directed it. And it's funny because I, I love the movie, I love the series, um, Planet of the Apes. Yes, I thought he did a really good job with that movie, and, and he I, did not Burtonize it. Exactly. No. And the one thing I will point out, just a little tidbit of history from my family, my actual family, I, they're a part of the person who wrote Planet of the Apes, the original uh, novel. When they've written it, that particular person is actually a distant cousin in my family. Just throwing that out there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Very distant, Mike. It's like way down the line but it it popped up on the family tree when we was looking stuff up and i was like oh snap okay but anyways you you talk about like tim burton films that was shocked you cabin boy i did not know he had anything to do with that wannabe movie mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's chris elliott so there you go but oh, I, <laughs> yeah i didn't know he had anything to do with that but yeah, he's attached to Cabin Boy. That was a horrendous movie. Uh, yeah, I mean that—that's my opinion. If you—if you really like that movie, kudos to you. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mm -mm. <laughs> now I tell you what movie that I I enjoyed, and it didn't get big reviews either. Was Dark Shadows. I enjoyed that movie. I thought it was a, a uh, great movie. I will agree to that because I've actually got the DVD. Um, Dark Shadows was pretty good. I like how they, uh, granted, the blood kind of didn't look real. It kind of looked 
again, candle, candle wax. Candle wax. <laughs> um, but still, it was still pretty good. Um, another film to add to that um, was, let's see here, was the Mrs. or Miss um, Pergines, I think is what it's pronounced, but um, the Peculiar Children. Yes, Peregrines. That's right. Peregrines. Uh, Peculiar Children. That movie was pretty good, in my opinion. That actually shocked me when I watched it. It was actually better than I thought it was going to be. I I think that movie caught a lot of flack for no real apparent reason. Um, I know that it's based on like a book series, and the book series did really well. It's kind of like a, I guess, a teen type of... uh, book series but i didn't think that there was anything really wrong with the movie i didn't think it was particularly bad it had a decent cast it was a it was a good story so i i never really saw an issue with it i mean ava green is in it she's a fantastic actress so i don't know never really saw the the the, the hate that that it got mm-hmm. no i didn't either i i didn't understand why everybody was like criticizing that movie. I didn't see anything wrong with it. So what other films, Mike, that you would think, cause I know that one time uh, you mentioned the movie nine. Yeah. And that's, that's a movie that you're actually going to uh, talk about in your next episode. So what, what, what about that movie that intrigued you? And it's a Tim Burton movie as well. Nine nine holds a special place in my heart with that with that film uh, I, Tim, I don't want to give anything away because i know it's your episode or anything no Just, no it's no it's spoilers fine. they can they can hear it on both ends um <laughs> nine right, spoilers spoilers <laughs> just, oh, just, yeah. just big spoilers yes well not too many I'll, I'll 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 keep it light um yeah so so tim burton produced that that film and i think it was directed by Shane Acker, um, and it has a fantastic all-star cast. I mean, you have Elijah Wood, J- Jennifer Conley, Crispin Glover. It, it, it goes on. I mean, it's this, the story behind it is so relatable, especially when you think about what the future of the world could become. Right. And you know, for as much as you look at it and you go, okay, well, that's an animated film, you automatically associate that to being a children's film, but it's not. It's very, it's it's almost scary. Yeah, it kind of hits you home too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there is there is the the play of again life and death, uh, the existence of a quote unquote soul, and when you dive into that movie and you really see it for what it is and the story for what it is, you see that, you know, humans could end up this way. We could, we could be at the end within our lifetimes with, with, with simple mistakes. And judge about the looks of things. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And I think, and I think that's a thing that is kind of, at least for me is is a big thing that's making sci-fi a resurgent so mm-hmm. sci-fi kind of took a lull you know in i would say the early 2000s not the greatest i mean you had you had 
really good sci-fi movies, but I think as the state of the world starts to go in the shitter, you have science fiction movies, especially ones that explore post-apocalyptic storylines. Right. They become more prevalent. And as they become more prevalent, they become more relevant. And that starts to connect with people. I don't know. Maybe I had a bleak outlook on life for a long time, but nine has always resonated with me. And I've always looked at that film and gone, shit, that, that could be us. <laughs> uh, I agree. I, there are some movies that you can watch, especially like in the like 80s. And I, I made fun of this movie, uh, Maddox, <laughs> to let you know that uh, like RoboCop. And RoboCop mm. is basically, and that's when we did our movie villains episode. I didn't even get to, to this movie, but the villain of RoboCop is not Clarence, the dude who played Red. Uh, I can't remember his real name now because I don't have it in front of me, but he played uh, Red in that 70s show, The Dad. The, he's not the villain of the movie. The villain of the movie is big corporate America because they came right. in and, and destroyed a neighbor, bought everything back. They end up, uh, taking this cop, this dude who was dead, shot to pieces and everything without any of the family's permission and made a robot out of them just so they can make more money. And then all of a sudden, if that panned out, well, uh, you know, these tons of people are going to lose their jobs. And so if you look at it like, oh, everybody's like, oh, but that can't happen. But now if you look at it now, even though that was a sci-fi, you know, sci-fi-ish movie, it kind of like, well, that's kind of like what's going on today. Is that, yeah. you know, big corpora coming in and, you know, just taking up everything. And like, oh. with, Tim, like with Tim Burton, I think because he, he, I know that he portrays death a lot in, in a lot of his movies, but I think that maybe it's a coping mechanism. Maybe there's a deep end behind it to, to show folks who enjoy his movie that, hey, it's okay. You know, death is, it's a natural thing. It's going right. to happen, you know. Even if you don't, even if you don't want it, it's it's there. But maybe it's just I don't. Maybe it's to me, it's like it's coping. It's like okay, maybe there's a better way to handle certain situations. Mm-hmm. Like with you know, like Frank and Weenie. You know, you lost a pet, and you know this. You know, we understand. We've all been there. Mm-hmm. Now, one movie that um, had a Tim Burton touch to it that kind of actually started the mentality that I have for being an inventor. I I love trying to create things. And this movie kind of piqued my interest, which I think, which inspired a lot of other movies beyond that, but that's just my opinion. Um, From 1997 star kid, when the kid got this alien type suit, that gave him enormous strength. I mean, who wouldn't want to be able to go up to a washing machine and literally grab it and just pick it up with one hand and walk out the door with it? See, that was the 90s version of Iron Man. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. We, we couldn't get an Iron Man in the 90s, so we had Star Kid. That's, that's where that right. came from. <laughs> right? And, it, and that's, that's a thing that, again, delves into the sci-fi thing is that science fiction really is just an extension of what's already happening and it's an extension of what you hope will happen in in some cases which to add to that let's let's 
since we're kind of going into the little rabbit hole here, but <laughs> it, it actually, no, it makes perfect sense because Star Trek, beam me up, Scotty, that little device that flips open, that was the inspiration of the flip cell phone. Yep. And here we are. Now we've got cell phones that are literally mobile computers. They can do practically anything. And then, you know, before you know it, we're going to have projector screens in our eyeballs. But that's beyond. I can't wait you know, for that. <laughs> I, I'm still waiting on the flying car. Okay. Because I'm very disappointed because Back to the Future lied. We're well, off by five years. Let me ask you a question to kind of answer that. With people knowing how to drive that the way that they do now, would you want them to be behind something that can fly? Well, no, well not in the South because we don't know how to use our turn signals. <laughs> oh my, my question is, like, the old-fashioned way of the turn signal is putting your hand out the window. If you're going, like, Mach 2 in a freaking car and making a left-hand turn, your hand is going to go out the window and rip down the side of your car. <laughs> you also have to think about the fact that now you're taking driving from essentially a 2D plane to a 3D plane. So now you're not only worrying about forward and backward, left and right, but you're worrying about up and down. <laughs> and uh, people have hard enough time dealing with the regular type of driving, like you said. Yeah, I don't think that people could deal with the uh, up and down of it all. <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. Those particular types... They can't even go left or right, so up and down. <laughs> I got I the forwards I, and backwards down pat, but the, the, the side <laughs> turns is what gets you. Excuse me, sir. Can you pull over? We're going to give you a ticket for an FUI. <laughs> Flying under the influence. Flying under the influence. I don't know how that tree got there. Well, sir, you landed your car on it. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> well, yeah, another another big Tim Burton film would be Alice in Wonderland, which mm -hmm. I enjoyed the first one. Uh, the sequel, Looking Through the Looking Glass, I didn't like, but I thought he did a really good job with that whole movie. And of course, I had Johnny Depp, uh, Johnny Depp, and Danny DeVito, and Michael Keaton to me is like his top three actors to go to when it comes to a Tim Burton film. Right. Okay, so I have a thought. And this, this kind of delves into the personal lives of Tim Burton and his wife. So he's married to Helena Bonham Carter. Used to. Reason. I, I think they, they got a divorce. Did they get I, a divorce? Oh, I think so. Okay, I'm not 100% so, sure on that, but she, let's, she's let's a really good actress. Let's just say they're so married for the sake of this argument. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure that Tim Burton puts Johnny Depp and his wife into the same films all the time because Johnny Depp is plowing his wife. <laughs> there, is, there is some sort of cuck situation that's happening there. I, I mean, you know, that's just my, my, my thoughts on it. I mean... <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, <sighs> you know, it's on them. <laughs> what they do. I, I'm not going to dive too deep into that because that's going to cause problems. Yeah. And that, the less I know, the better. 
you know, if you look at like how Tim Burton looks and dresses, he's he's kind of like your drunk uncle. That's what he looks like—a drunk, drunk uncle. That's <laughs> why we have the dark aspect in the movies. All of a sudden, <laughs> hey, hey, uh, listen here, all three of you. Okay, Johnny Depp's. Uh, okay, look, this is what I want you to do. You're gonna skip and go. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, then you have Willy Wonka, which is I thought I which was definitely a darker version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory from Gene Wilder's days. And the thing with that, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Gene Wilder is the fact you don't know what happened to those kids at all. <laughs> like yeah. You literally oh. thought they, I mean, that was dark, even though it was bright colors and the snozberries taste like snozberries. That was dark. If you really thought about it, it's like those kids disappeared. You never heard from them since. Oh, that tunnel scene? Ooh. Oh, dude. Even though he, uh, Gene Wilde did mess up a line in that, just FYI. But that was like, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? He's over talking about Gates of Hell and <laughs> everything <laughs> like that. But then you have Tim Burton's, and then, he, you know, he uses, which was kind of funny, he uses the same, uh, the same character that he did in Big Fish to, for the Oompa Loompas. And you could tell, like, some of them were um, animatronic because you could just tell but at least you saw at the end of the movies like so that's what happened to the kids they're actually alive they're still a-holes but you know they're still alive just my you know, just different all of a sudden yeah he's a taller out. <laughs> blue why you feel why you, why you feel so blue there violet are, are you what, sad what, what's with the long face now I, now I did recently see this movie from Tim Burton and I have to say it's I did not like it I and uh, I just it was to me it did not have a Tim Burton feel to it that and they changed the whole story Dumbo <sighs> yeah go ahead <laughs> um, I could hear it in this voice just, yeah uh, I, yeah, I, I heard okay. it. I heard the wheels turning. So it's not so much the film, because I will be completely honest, never seen the film. It's the fa it delves kind of into Disney and the age of the remake. Not every animated film to ever exist needs a live action version. I agree. I and agree. that's one of them. <laughs> I did. I I couldn't understand like. I could not understand it. I don't know if Disney maybe put a leash on Tim Burton. Maybe I don't know, but it just, it just, I'm, I'm telling sorry, you, Tim Burton. Much. We have standards here at Disney. You're only allowed <laughs> to do X, Y, and Z amount of stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, even though we own 75% of Hollywood, Tim Burton, right? The, the house of mouse is just, just you know, we've got to keep Dumbo light and fluffy. The house of mouse. <laughs> Um, I'm tell you, you're not missing much i'm gonna tell you that i was highly disappointed i, mean, I turned it off uh, i just i was like what this is and they didn't have the talking mouse and <laughs> how you gonna take out because that was like dumbo's partner that was the talking mouse that was dumbo's they, best friend yeah pretty much I, I can't i can't remember his name was it it wasn't mickey i know that it wasn't mickey but <laughs>
No, I don't think Mickey would be around Dumbo whatsoever. I'd say another movie that was kind of freaky, and it was definitely Tim. You, it, it definitely had a Tim Burton touch. Was James and the Giant Peach? Oh, I love that movie. That's a cult classic. That movie still holds its weight till this day. A lot of folks talk about that movie. It was James and the Giant Peach. The Talking Spider. What got me though? Yeah, that that uh, that's kind of a childhood movie of mine. Also, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it hits different. It's it's one of those movies, and and it's kind of a recurring theme with Burton is that you get, you get these moments of very, you know, where it's very heart wrenching, and the story just becomes so full of life but at the same time full of death, which is a weird dichotomy there. But James and the Giant Peach, I think, is, is fantastic. I think it's a great fantasy film, and it, it allows that kind of, you know, James was an orphan and lives this, this grand adventure. And I think that, that really, you know, much like all of his other films, kind of translates and, and makes it relevant to you as a child especially. I I agree. It's been I would say about I don't I, don't, I can't really say the years because I don't want to give my age, but it's been a minute <laughs> since I've seen that movie. Um, but I tell you what, let's go ahead and wrap up this episode. Um, I think we've covered a lot of Tim Burton's films <laughs> in a short call- period of time, and without diving too deep into it, you know, because I know there's a lot of backstory behind a lot of these films. But it was great to relive some of his best work and some of his worst work. Obviously. Right. <laughs> yep. Um, but anyway, uh, so Mike, a little bit, tell us again uh, where we can find you. Sure. Uh, you can find me at Quiet on the Set Podcast. Uh, we stream everywhere, like I said. You can find us on Twitter at Quiet underscore Guys. You can find us on Facebook at Quiet on the Set Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Quiet on the Set underscore Podcast. I uh, just recently got a new co-host, Dustin, and we started doing shows. And it's you know we'll, we'll see how it all pans out. Hopefully, it keeps going well. And if you're interested in my conspiracy theory podcast, you can look us up. It's called the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. And you can find us on Twitter at HHS Conspiracy. And for us, you can find us at uh, underscore, uh, underscore, ha, it's talking underscore shiz. That's on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, definitely go vote for us, Podcast Magazine. And we want to thank Mike for stopping by and being our first guest on our show. Our very first guest on our show. I'm super jazzed. Yeah, so make sure you guys hit that like button, <laughs> share, <laughs> share reviews, and uh, download and all that other stuff. I don't forgot where I was heading with that. But <laughs> thank you so but, much. Enjoy, thank uh, you, Mike. Yes, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. This is great. And we'll definitely see you guys next week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you.